Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. I'm your host, Ben, and today we have the honor of speaking with Mr. Ganesh. How are you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, coming on the show today. So you are the co-founder and CEO of Covalent. Um, I'm very curious because I'm not even 100% sure. Um, I was reading and I didn't fully understand uh, what exactly is Covalent? What does it do? Let's dive into it. Let's get the, the deep dive and um, yeah, tell us uh, tell us your story. Sweet. So Covalent is what is known as a data indexer. So we scrape all on-chain data and offer that uh, via a database. Uh, our first flagship product is an API. So that's a developer's product where a developer can go and integrate and pull all kinds of on-chain data and really create really compelling end user experiences like wallets and NFT galleries and diverse set of use cases. And we have other products to consume uh, the on-chain data. That's really covalent in a nutshell. The word covalent comes from covalent bonds in chemistry. And uh, I leave it uh, to a surprise for a surprise for the readers or to the listeners, whether this is a chemistry lesson or a, or a gaming uh, podcast. I love it. So, okay. So you're scraping all the on-chain data and you're providing an API. What is the, like, what's the point of that? What, why, what's the benefit to the end user to have that data available to them in API format? So think of it as a transition from offline businesses to internet enabled businesses. So once you start transacting, once you start doing commerce over the internet, then it makes sense to have a search engine for all of the properties that you have on the internet. Uh, there's no way for a single person to remember all the relevant websites. So they therefore they need something like Google to go in and search. So similar to that, as an analogy here, there's a lot of commerce that is moving onto the blockchain via NFTs and, and GameFi and, and DeFi and all these stable coins and there's so many use cases. And there's no relevant, no appropriate way for a single uh, user or a single like business to pull that on-chain data. So they require indexers and middleware um, technologies like Covalent for them to make sense of this vast uh, ocean of data because the amount of data on chain is, is humongous. Okay. So you're basically packaging and presenting data in ways that end users would want to use. So it seems like you're, you're more middleware where, um, different businesses or projects are going to want to actually be your customers as opposed to individual consumers or investors or gamers or whatever like that. That's exactly right. So we are more of a upstream product rather than a downstream product. So there's no real UI, there are no buttons to click on, but if you're a programmer and you know how to uh, integrate with these APIs, then you can go and build a wallet, you can build uh, an NFT gallery, you can build a taxation tool, like lots of different ways you can use and consume the data. Okay, that's interesting. So when we're thinking about moving forward uh, in you know in the history of development of, of this um, blockchain sort of technology, are you seeing a world where there are more pieces of middleware like you guys are building or do you think it's going to go like, like to where it's, it's almost going to abstract away the more difficult parts of programming and reduce the learning curve to where people with an idea can just build that idea almost with low or no code solutions or like where are you seeing that that movement towards or, or that push towards? 
So I, I think the world is getting more complex. So I come from a database world and in the database world, there's hundreds of databases. There can never be one size or one tool uh, fits all. Likewise, in the blockchain space, there's gonna be dozens and dozens of blockchains for different kinds of use cases. Some of it for NFE, some of it for gaming, some of it for DeFi and so on. So in that world, uh, you will need a connecting piece like Covalent because the app developers who are building these wallets and these galleries, they don't really care about the nuances or the security models of these blockchains. You want to basically canonicalize, normalize all of the all of the complexities of this and just provide a simple, easy to use. Our product is so easy to use that uh, you can literally use it from the browser. There's nothing to download. There's no need to compile code or write any kind of integration code. You can literally just use it from the browser. So these kinds of tools are critical to uh, enable the adoption of blockchain technologies because eventually our target audience would be within an enterprise. And in an enterprise, if they were to adopt a new piece of technology, they're not gonna retrain their people or retool or reprocess engineer their internal stuff. Uh, there's always some kind of system in the back end that's been running from the 60s. You know, why, uh, why try to fix something that's not broken? So they're always looking for these stepping stones and uh, these businesses will always coexist um, for, for a very long time. Just like how you have traditional banks you can walk to retail front ends and then you also have online banking. So they'll always coexist. And likewise, you know, businesses on the blockchain will coexist alongside uh, regular internet enabled or just retail businesses. So let's actually dive into a bit more on the database um, experience that you have, maybe you can te almost give us like a database 101, like coming from what it used to be the technology, you know, the technology, the sixties, maybe catch us up from a historical perspe perspective of like, how's that evolved over time? And then with the introdu introduction of blockchain technology, like what are the, what are the, what are, what does that do to the whole database landscape and what are businesses now having to do differently now that uh, blockchain's around? Yeah, fantastic uh, question. And let me just walk you through, I'll compress the last 50 years or so of technology, database technology into five minutes, if it's if that's even possible. So what has happened is uh, in the early, early days of computing, uh, where the actual computers were the people uh, who were operating the computers. That's how, you know, back in the day, uh, these hard drives were filling huge, uh, huge offices and so on. Uh, back then, there was no structured way to store information. It was all on punch cards and so on. And then around the 70s, there was a seminal paper uh, written by COD on database technologies. And the founder of Oracle, the database Oracle, uh, Larry Ellison, read this paper and he said, OK, I'm going to build a company to, to commercialize this technology. And that was the rise of what is known as relational uh, databases. And so for the last, I would say, 30 something years, relational databases have been the number one paradigm for storing data in a database and then over the last and, uh, and what exactly and what exactly is a relational database just for those who aren't fully caught up to speed on that so relational databases are uh structured forms of storing data so just like how you would have uh a company or an organization that has employees so it's like has one off or has many off kind of relationship between different entities a car has four wheels, has six seats. So you could have an object for seats, an object for a car, an object for a factory, 
And so you can just build these uh, parent-child and uh, grandchild relationships. And it just brings a lot of consistency and mathematical rigor to storing data uh, because you never want to overstore data or have inconsistencies in your data because computers are very good at uh, making sure that uh, there's no, uh, no errors in that data. So that's really what the, the mathematical model is. So Oracle you know, uh, grew really, really, really big and uh, they've been very successful. And there's this whole industry over the last 30 something years, which is the database technologies and database industries. But uh, actually what's happening behind the scenes is that there are hundreds of databases out there there's literally a website out there called dvdb.io, which is a database of databases. And it lists, I think, 800 databases. So there's never one size fits all. There's a time series database, there's a key value store database, uh, there's a graph database, there's a relational database, there's a, a NoSQL database, there's a, all kinds of things, right? There's just, uh, you can never have a single database to rule them all. And so that's how the database world has evolved. But with the rise of internet technologies, what has happened is that this core database technology is a centralized piece of technology, which means these for-profit companies are now holding onto consumer and user data and profiting from, from that user data. So they're basically uh, selling that data to the lowest bidder, that's really, or the highest bidder. That's really what, what's happening. And this is uh, you know, uh, an environment where data was an asset. And what's starting to happen now with regulations like the GDPR and the CCPA is that data is starting to become a liability. So holding onto this data and uh, holding this data is a liability on your books and should be a liability because there's no reason for for-profit companies to hold this data and profit out of it. So that's really what's, what's happening here. So can we can we this, actually double click on that for a second? Because yeah. I think we're seeing tremendously that. Um, by the way, thank you, Mike. I very much appreciate that, sir. Um, but he was saying that. Uh, um, uh, but you're saying that um, it's becoming a liability. We've seen that the data has been what's powered so many monster, monster businesses the Apples of the world, the Microsofts of the world, but specifically like the Facebook, the Googles, um, those that are you know deeply entrenched in the advertising model, that it seems like that's an asset that's able to generate tremendous amount of, of cash flow for them. When you're saying it's a liability, do you mean in the form of if they're not treating that data right, people are going to come try to fuck them up? And so it becomes a liability from a PR perspective or from like a moral responsibility perspective or like what exactly do you mean by that i think it should be a liability it's not a liability right now it's okay. treated as an asset because they're profiting from that and as you said it leads to massive cash flows the whole advertising business on the internet is built off user data that's what it is so i'm saying that i i'm uh, envisioning a future where users have control of that data and they have custody of that data. And it's not like these companies can just hold on to uh, this data and profit out of that. But the existing database technology is not in support of this new composable, shareable, uh, not removing your, uh, your custody 
of data. It doesn't uh, really support that kind of uh, model. And hence, in my opinion, the popularity with blockchains where the data, the user data that is secured by a wallet is within the custody of the, of the customer or the consumer. So if you have your private keys, you have control of your data. And uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can just throw away the front end that you're using currently because you don't like a business practice or you don't like how it looks and use another front end. It doesn't matter. The assets are secured by the blockchain and not by the application. So just imagine if you can use all of your WhatsApp messages without using the WhatsApp front end because you control the data as opposed to Facebook controlling the WhatsApp messages. Okay, so it's basically instead of keeping all the data into these databases that are controlled by and profited on top of, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but everybody gets it, um, by these tremendously powerful uh, businesses, big businesses, instead we want to bring the power and control over that data back to the individual. So you gave the example of the WhatsApp messages. So we would own all the messages we send and therefore could revoke them from those platforms. And then we just choose whichever interface or platform or technology that we enjoy using the most and we can still communicate. Now, would that mean that because it's it's almost platform agnostic or interface agnostic that we could have a conversation with different people and they use a different interface than us? Like, I send a message from WhatsApp because I like their UI, but th then you receive that message on, let's say, uh, Signal or something like that. Like, is that what you, what we're talking about here? Is where anybody can use anything for any reason, and we can still get the network effects of being able to communicate and do these things with other people. That is exactly how a blockchain works today. So, if you have a DeFi position or you have an NFT. There are hundreds of UIs out there, hundreds of applications uh, out there that you can access that data because it's secured by the blockchain and not the application. The applications just become a, a window or a conduit into that underlying uh, data. Okay. Oh, so you're so it's it's not even a function of of this is something specific to what uh, Covalent's doing. This is just how blockchains are going to change the game um, from the get-go. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, cool. So that that's really interesting. Now, do you think that there is ever going to be a world where th the businesses that already have all of our data, that they're going to like fork it over to us and, and give us back control over it? Is that even a remote possibility or is that just ridiculous to even think about not even worth talking about? I don't think that's practical. Because these uh, for-profit companies are going to fight uh, tooth and nail because it's the majority of their revenue. And you can see what's happening with Snapchat. You can see what's happening with Facebook. Uh, with the recent drawdowns, they are fighting pretty hard. And uh, regulations are, are coming. They are standing in the way of these companies profiting from this data. Uh, I'm not going to... Um, Put a lot of faith into this happening in the next five years i think there'll be new forms of uh, communications or new avenues uh that uh disrupts the existing businesses almost like how craigslist uh and the internet advertising model disrupted newspapers so that's uh that's kind of what's going to happen over the next 10 years or so
So is all that data lost or is, is there a way? I mean, the private messages probably, but let's say all the things you put, like, I mean, I, I know a lot of people use something like a Facebook or Instagram or whatever to document their lives. And that is where they store their pictures. That's where they put a lot of stuff like that. Is there a way to almost save these people from the, the stickiness of, of these um, different mousetraps and these different platforms? Or is that data just kind of, I mean, they're just kind of SOL. They, they chose to do it. So now they just have to live with it. I mean, the regulations say that uh, you can take your data with you. Google does have that option where you can download an archive of all of your, all of the breadcrumbs you've left all over the internet. Uh, they have those features, but uh, what are you going to do with it? You need another application. So it's difficult to import that data. Uh, they're not composable. You can't wrap it. You can't you know, uh, play around with it. It's in its proprietary format uh, that Google used to store your data. So it's not immediately usable. It may be useful for forensics or other kinds of purposes. But for a regular consumer, I think that's asking too much for an existing uh, uh, centralized uh, application and the data being usable. It's just not possible today. Gotcha. So the idea is just start a different habit and move to the blockchain world so then you actually have more control over it. The Yeah, the underlying infrastructure has to facilitate this uh, free movement of, uh, of data. And that requires a, a blockchain rather than a, a database. Now, could so may, maybe if people maybe some people do enjoy using the Instagrams and Facebooks of the world. Obviously, billions of people do. Would there be a way, or do you see there being any possibility of maybe cl you know clicking a button, having like a like a hard fork in where that data is coming from? So maybe instead of just continuing to contribute more and more data to the platforms, you can create like your own little personal chain where you've got your, all your data, and then you can choose to bring it to those those interfaces. And for as long as you give them access, they can do the things that they want to do. Or, you know, you can limit some things. Um, is that a practical potential future? So people have tried this. Let's take Twitter, for example. Twitter used to have multiple clients uh, about a decade ago. It was not just a native uh, Twitter client published by the company. You could use it uh, from TweetDeck. You could use it from lots of other other vendors, lots of different user interfaces. But uh, Twitter shut down all of those applications because Twitter's primary revenue stream is through advertising. And these other applications were uh, enabling other business models that didn't accrue to Twitter, the company. So this is where you know the, the open protocols and the applications uh, need to be separated. And uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. So today you only have the clients for Twitter that's published by Twitter, the company, and you don't have anything else. They've all been shut down. So in theory, uh, what you suggested could have happened, but the commercial business model got in got in the way, unfortunately. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think we'll we'll probably see a, a migration um, from those platforms in time anyway, or an ad adaptation from those platforms anyways. Um, okay, so just, so just one more thing. I just want oh, to yeah. give you another example uh, to show you how powerful this idea is. So the next Samsung TVs are all going to be powered with uh, with NFT uh, gallery views. You can literally uh, go to any Samsung TV uh, that you would buy next year 
and put in your wallet address and it's going to show you a beautiful display of the NFTs within your wallet. There's nothing else that you need to connect or nothing else you need to port over because all of this data is on the blockchain. It's secured cool. by the blockchain. So that's an example of how, just imagine if you were to go to Chase and all of your assets, all of your positions, all of your investments, all of your whatever currency is immediately available. And it doesn't matter whether you go to US Bank or Chase, it's still your data and your assets. It's not within the custody of those banks. And then they charge you these high overdraft fees and really, you know, the this really um, belligerent business model, I feel. So that's an example of how, you know, how beautiful the world will be where I, the, the, the control and the choice, the freedom of choice is within the consumer and not within these for-profit companies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I've re I'm significantly more bullish on the idea that you're talking about um, with Covalent because it seems like what you guys are doing then are all are aggregating all this data and then creating an easy way for different applications and other platforms and interfaces to be able to be created for us as the users so we can make the user experience better knowing that the underlying thing is okay, well, we always keep our data. We always have that. And now it's just about choosing how we want to experience the world or how we want to experience all these different services and apps and stuff. And by bringing all this data together and making it very easy through an API, then all of these apps don't actually have to be really strong database engineers or blockchain experts or anything like that. They could just lean on you guys for all of that heavy work and they can focus on what they're really good at, which is the UI, the front end, um, and serving the actual end customers. Am I understanding that correctly? That's the covalent pitch right there. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's, it's a good one. I really like that. So how are you seeing, how are you seeing it materially make a difference in these applications? Um, like, are, like, do they come to you because, they try to do all that stuff on their own and then they fail and they're like, wow, we need a solution. Or are they like, my God, we don't even want to try this in the first place. Or wow, we thought we weren't going to be able to actually do this, but then we came across this technology. So it actually is possible, but we wouldn't have been able to do this before. Like what are they coming to you and saying, or like, wow, uh, this is a big problem for us. Let me first uh, maybe take a step back and talk about the market structure a little. So there's, yeah typically two kinds of users uh, for any technology that is on the right side of the chasm and the left side of the chasm. So this is the, uh, the innovators and the early adopters and then the early majority. So the innovators and the early adopters, they just want to play with cool stuff, right? They don't want to really pay with, they don't want to pay for stuff. They just want to like be cool, right? They want to try the newest things and they understand that stuff is going to be broken. You know, when uh, an example is Windows 95, when that came out, that used to crash all the time, but a million people stayed up all night to go be first in line to get Windows 95 because they want to be the first. So that's the early adopter audience. And the early majority, they're usually people and employees who work at companies who are looking to recruit a tool to do their job. So they ha their motivations are entirely different. And so the way you find the early majority and the uh, early adopters is completely different. So Covalent has two different, um, you know, uh, awareness and two kind of like uh, adoption drives, if you will. 
for these two different uh, personality types. So for the for the innovators and the uh, the early adopters, it's mostly hackathons that we invest heavily in. So right now I'm wearing an ETH uh, New York hackathon. Next week I'm going to be going to ETH SF, which is a big hackathon. So here you have these guys, you know, uh, overnight hackathons, weekend hackathons, who are just building cool stuff, just building really really cool stuff. In fact. Covalent itself started at a hackathon. So I went to a hackathon over the weekend because here Vancouver, which is where home is, it rains a lot. And one day it was like uh, super rainy and said, okay, I'm not gonna do anything. Let me let me just go hack on some stuff. I went to a hackathon and built this this fun, just for fun. That's not I'm not I'm not doing it. Instead of watching Netflix, I'm just going to a hackathon. That's it. And I built this thing, ended up winning that hackathon. And then that that project, that hack there is what is today covalent. So the hackathons is where a lot of the pushing the frontiers, the a lot of the experimental ideas, a lot of the cool stuff. Like, to be frank, I don't even understand how these guys are using Covalent because it's so far into the future. It's incredible. This is like a front row seat to the future being built, right? But there's probably no commercial uh, opportunity here. They're not going to pay for Covalent, uh, but they're just pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And then you have the early majority who require uh, more hand-holding. They're the guys who read through your privacy policy. They're the guys who require a, a business value calculator, an ROI calculator. They have to make the case of build versus buy. And it's a very different kind of uh, markup, different kind of motivations. And so there it's mostly uh, sales driven. It's mostly showing them what the use cases are. Sometimes you even want to package the hackathons and take this to the other cohort of users because they're existing businesses with existing customers and providing a new experience. So this is like Reddit adding the NFT stuff or uh, Robinhood adding the Web3 uh, experience, for example, right? So these guys at Robinhood and Reddit are looking at the hackathons to see what's being built. And if something sticks, something is interesting, they take those ideas and, and push it to their you know, hundreds of millions of users, uh, which is where the traction comes in. So it goes both ways, right? So the commercial sense is with a different kind of body and then the experimentation, the new ideas, um, the, you know, testing the edges uh, comes from this other other uh, group of users. So that's typically uh, how any kind of industry uh, goes, including the adoption of uh, the internet, because the early majority were hesitant to put their credit cards over the internet. Even cell phones were exactly the same. They were hesitant to put their uh, cell phone, uh, their, their credit card into the app store to enable apps and purchases, in-app purchases. But that's generally what the S-curve is. The minute you cross that chasm, boom it explodes right so we're, we're seeing the same kind of uh same kind of deal with the, the blockchain technology and i would confidently say that this year and next year and the year after is when we're crossing the chasm it's very clear i i can see i can see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, the traction that we're seeing the kinds of questions we're seeing in pre-sales the number of times our legal documents are going through legal review it's it's very very obvious to me that this transition is happening and this is not a covalent transition this is a broader market transition for blockchain technologies i love that and i really appreciate the the background um in the alpha on talking about the different types of users and the use cases so actually what you talked about was something i want to almost jump back in time and dig into a little bit when you're when you were putting together um 
kind of version 0.001 at the, over that weekend. How did it go from, all right, I hacked together this thing. This seems really cool to, okay, well now you have a fully fledged product and business and you guys are doing some really interesting things. Well, I can lie and say I came up with this brilliant idea. I just put it in the market, exploded. We got thousands of customers, and <laughs> we are. But that's not. That's exact. That's the exact opposite of what happened. So we built this uh, this technology. You know, ended up winning the the hackathon. Uh, so what I built is uh, a way for reading blockchain transactions uh, from Excel, because I know from the database world that Excel is the beloved tool for any analyst. They're never going to uh, give up their use of Excel is just too powerful and too entrenched. And so I just built this middleware and uh, ended up winning that hackathon. And then uh, said, okay, let's let's build this as a, as a commercial entity. Let's build this technology, let's take it out to market. It seems like broadly useful, broadly applicable, but I hadn't done any due diligence on market sizing or any of the, any of the basic uh, check boxes. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't do any DD. Uh, which if I had done, I would have never started Covalent to be like, you know, to pay, pay, play the devil's advocate. So we started, uh, this would have been uh, late 2017, so five years, uh, you know, five years ago. And then 2018, uh, so, you know, in that initial, you're still in the honeymoon phase, uh, you start a company, oh yeah, I'm so excited, there's a startup, you know, and then let's, uh, let's uh, find our first set of customers, let's like prove at the use cases, let's build the MVP. Let's go raise some capital. Nothing happened. There is uh, the depths of the bear market. There were no customers. There were no investors. There were no use cases. The whole ICO craze had died down by mid 2018. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was barren. So it was pretty pretty tough. And so uh, we slogged through that. I had conviction that uh, this technology is broadly useful. I had gotten the timing wrong. Uh, and uh, I had the patience to uh, sit through the bear market. That's really what it is. But uh, we continued to build this technology, refine this technology, scale this technology for a use case that, uh, in my opinion, would have been you know two years out or three years out, which I was patient and you know I had the the, the bandwidth to to uh, you know outlive that timeline and then 2020 hit uh when 2020 hit uh the DeFi summer hit and then things exploded and then since then you know uh we we hired like 45 people last year right we went uh from one blockchain to 50 blockchains in in uh in a year and a half we went uh from like five applications to four thousand applications in in a year and a half so all of this like quickly came together so that's really what you know when you have product market fit and you know the the use case is apparent, and then it just becomes a repeatable cycle. Then it's just a matter of how fast or how hard you can pedal. And uh, so that's really what we've done over the past couple of years. But the first first uh, first I would say two and a half years was uh, pretty lonely. I uh, I think I went to a conference consensus in 2018, and there was nobody. There was no no builders. It was all the the guys who had raised big money in 2017, and they're throwing the parties were amazing, but there were no builders. And B as a as a developer product uh, that was wasn't our audience. So uh, yeah, uh, I still have the scars to prove uh, the the fight that we put out. But uh, here we are. That's incredible, incredible that uh, you guys have been around. Um, 
he really pushed through through the bear market. Um, so you've seen now you've seen now a lot of really interesting history in the um, uh, in in the whole crypto space. So I'm kind of curious, like, what are you seeing now that either remind you of that past bear market or is different from like what are some of the things that are i'm i'm curious of um you know history doesn't repeat itself but it does rhyme like what's rhyming and what's totally new so um some things are similar and uh it's not going to end uh end well some things are brand new and uh, I have more conviction in the next five years than the prior five years that this space is going to uh, become a thing. So the the big parties, uh, the double digit, triple digit uh, APRs and DeFi uh, asking questions like, uh, where did the 20% in, uh, in Terra, Terra Luna come from? and then uh, being called a fool because you don't ask questions, just take the money and run, uh, that's excess, right? That uh, in no environment does that make sense. And your basic, it just, just doesn't uh, pass the sniff test. So that's uh, thankfully, uh, I think although most of that excess has been uh, drawn down or has just been evicted. You're still seeing, um, uh, some of that, but it's mostly on the fringes. Uh, there was a conference called Token Twenty Five, Token Twenty Forty Nine in Singapore uh, a month ago, and there were two thousand parties in uh, in this conference. Two thousand. Uh, so uh, I didn't go, but that's what I heard. So that's still too much, right? Too much uh, because if you party so hard, uh, who's going to be building? Right. Uh, but. The positive is that the use cases are here. The adoption is here. Every year over the last five years, the number of users in the space has increased. I would say a, uh, a conservative estimate of the number of uh, on-chain users is about 15 or 20 million users in the world. So still a drop in the bucket, but this was only 2 million users two years ago. So it's growing by leaps and grounds, and there's real use cases. If you look at our uh, our kind of uh, metric on to see if a market is maturing or not, uh, a lot of those uh, signals are there. There's definitely, uh, if you look at in the NFT space, the it's not just the crypto natives uh, issuing these uh, you know face profile pictures. It's actual brands like Tiffany and DNG and Adidas and Starbucks coming in dropping NFTs during a bear market over the last like two or three months, right? So there's something real here uh, when those brands are able to do uh, 50 to $100 million in primary and secondary sales. So that's just one example. The, in the gaming space, the number of AA, AAA studios coming into the scene. In, in the DeFi space, the number of like regular fintech companies like Robinhood and uh, companies like that, you know, adding DeFi technologies to their stack. So that's uh, that's where I'm seeing a lot of excitement, a lot of growth coming into this space. Yeah, I think I think it is exciting when the euphoria leaves, the tide goes out, and you see who is really doing um, who's really doing interesting things and who's really doing things that are that are moving stuff forward. And I don't think ever healthy to be like don't ask questions take the money and run 
Like that's <laughs> that's such a freaking that is such a red flag. I mean, yes, you should run, but you should run from whoever's telling you not to ask questions. Like I I think there was some somebody who was way more intelligent than myself said one time, if you're trying to read something that somebody's prepared for you. And especially, I think they were talking about financial statements or, or something. Um, if you can't understand it, it's because they don't want you to understand it. And it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's achieve such mastery of what we're doing that we can actually make it simple or let's be really transparent and straightforward and, and, and push stuff out here. So, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot more of that, which is, which is really, really exciting. And I could definitely speak from the game perspective. I have been so unbelievably impressed by the shift in how people are thinking about things, how people are building things. For example, a year ago when I was doing interviews in let's say November of or October, late, late October, early November of 2021, people were talking about how much you could earn from playing the game and how quickly you could do it. And everything was about tokenomics and these things. And now everybody I'm talking to is like, yeah, that was such bullshit back then. You know, can't believe anybody was saying that. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, a couple months that are that are uh, breaking up these these interviews. So it's really interesting to see the changes over time. I agree. I love it. Cool. Well, um, I know we're I know we're getting close to time here. Um, so I want to I want to uh, drill down a bit. Um, you know, we're talking about aggregating data um, to me. You guys are building a really interesting platform, and now that I understand it a, a lot better, um, and what that says to me is that there there are more tools and more tool sets for people to be able to build really interesting things. What do you think are the most important things that need to be built now in this moment of time to move crypto forward, the metaverse forward, crypto gaming specifically, um, to move the whole space forward? Like, what are those? I don't know if they're milestones or benchmarks or just uh, things to check off to get to the next level, but you know, what is that going to take? It's a great question. So let me highlight uh, one initiative that we are spearheading at Covalent, which I think is uh, is very important. Uh, it's the education piece. It's the on-chain data analysis, the acumen in reading this, just becoming data literate. So if you think outside the blockchain space, just broadly, I think uh, trust is at an all-time low in society. Uh, you can't trust the COVID numbers. You can't trust what the politicians are saying. You can't trust the election numbers. Uh, you can't trust anything out there. And I think one of the things that needs to happen is people need to crunch the numbers and come to their own conclusion. So the critical thinking skills, uh, the ability to understand and synthesize data and numbers and and uh, build a hypothesis and so on. So with that uh, context, uh, we recently announced uh, a data alchemist program. So the alchemist community is, uh, the alchemist, the word is our community. So our community, uh, the covalent community are called alchemists, uh, keeping in line with the chemistry reference. And so here uh, about, about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we announced a program where we are going to recruit a thousand people across the globe, train them, them on on-chain data analysis, and then pay them $2,000 to go through this bootcamp. 
And so we announced this and I wasn't really sure where this is going to go. I, I thought, you know, maybe we'll get 50 applications. Uh, we require a one minute video that you need to record to say why you need to be part of this program and then submit it with your resume. We were blown away with the response. We got 1,200 applications. People who've put in the time to record a video and put in their resume and show us proof that they're capable of taking on this bootcamp, there's so much interest. And that bootcamp is starting tomorrow. So now we've had to dramatically scale up all of our operations, all of our course material. And so we're actually allowing 250 people through that first cohort of this coding bootcamp. So there, what we are going to be teaching people is how to crunch numbers on chain and understand what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not true, what's fake, what is smoke and mirrors, what is real, and what is substance, and how do you compare the quote unquote businesses on the blockchain with traditional web two and traditional businesses which is the lens of reach, retention, and revenue. That's typically how any business, it doesn't matter if it's a gaming business, doesn't matter if it's a e-commerce business, doesn't matter if it's a SaaS business, that's really how businesses are valued. So you can bring the same lens, the same business analysis framework to blockchain protocols, whether it's a, let's say it's an L1. So an L1 is the number of transacting wallets, how much gas was burned, how much gas was consumed, that's the revenue metric. The retention is the stickiness aspect. And actually, our first course, which is tomorrow, is on the gaming space. So here we're going to take a very popular game, Axie Infinity, and push Axie Infinity through this business analysis lens so people can understand for themselves using on-chain data, which Covalent provides, uh, the number of players, the number of unique players, the number of repeating players, what is the average revenue per user. And a lot of these alchemists who have joined this program sit in traditional Web2 businesses, right? So when these Web2 companies, especially these gaming studios, are thinking about blockchain space, they always think of it as a, as a portfolio. So they have a console game, they probably have a social game, a social mobile game, and then now they have a blockchain game. So as a portfolio, how do I compare uh, the, the reach retention revenue numbers? And where do I double down? Where do I increase my investment? Where do I scale back? So that's the kind of skills that we're trying to teach uh, people, which I, I believe uh, is our attempt at furthering society by teaching them critical uh, data analysis skills. And um, our, our ideas in the future, you know, scale this up, run multiple cohorts, uh, but in, we can only limit it to what our expertise is, which is on-chain data. But I hope that uh, this kind of program um, encourages others to just build broader data analysis programs because in society, I think uh, people need to have those critical data crunching numbers and come to their own conclusion, uh, conclusions rather than being force fed whatever the, the media tells them. I love it. And you heard it here, folks. So definitely keep an eye on future cohorts there. Um, I would encourage everybody who's watching and listening to to apply if that um, you know, if that's something that that fits your wheelhouse. Um, yeah, I think it'll it'll give people a lot stronger tool set to be able to understand the world around us and just have better data to make better decisions, which seems like it would always lead to better outcomes, or at least give us a better chance of leading to better outcomes. Um, awesome. Well, Ganesh, I do appreciate your time today. Uh, I want to say thank you very, very, very much um, for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm just tremendously uh, 
I'm tremendously glad and grateful that we got to dive into the um, the platform Covalent. Glad we got a chance to hear about how it got started. Um, got to, to learn a bit about uh, databases. Got a quick 101 on the past 50 years what's going on there. Um, and yeah, just uh, tremendously appreciative of you. I want to give a shout out to Mike who has joined us live, been with us the whole time. So thank you very much, Mike. Um, but again, thank you very much, Ganesh. Uh, truly appreciate it. I've of course linked uh, both your personal Twitter as well as uh, Covalent's Twitter. So anybody that wants to learn more, go dive into those Twitter rabbit holes and then you know to the various other platforms. Uh, I'm sure everybody will be able to figure that out there. Um, but yeah, thank you uh, so much for, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Ben, thank you so much. It's been a, a absolute pleasure sharing the, the Covalent journey with you. Well, thank you very much. And everybody watching and listening, thank you very much. You're all the best. I love you. And I will see you on the next episode. Bye.